the search for identity, that which uh, suits best to this uh, real self that you're discovering. If you know yourself well enough, then you discover what you are best suited for, and then that is what makes you happiest, too. Self-actualization uh, means the making real of the inner self, and that means what you love, what you're interested in, what excites you, what fascinates you, and that is the cause outside yourself, which paradoxically then becomes a defining characteristic of the self. Welcome to the Maslow Peak Podcast, presented by Springsteen Media Group. I'm your host, Brett Griffin, and our guest today is Jared Romley, Director of Social Strategy at Anyone Collective. Anyone Collective is a creative studio based out of Los Angeles. Jared and I go way, way back. We went to college together, took a political philosophy class together, our bands played music together. We followed each other's respective careers and various side projects over the years, but we've always stayed in touch. He's a political activist. He's one of the smartest guys I know. He's a devoted dad to not two, like I have, but three little girls. Jared can be found on Twitter at JLRY and Instagram at JL.RY. And Anyone Collective can be found at WeAreAnyone.com. Jared, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much, Brett, for having me. I'm really excited to uh, to get into it today. Yeah, it's been a uh, chat with you. Yeah, it's been fun uh, kind of following you over the years and seeing your various political posts and creative posts and posts of your girls (laughs) and everything so i'd love to i want to thank you and uh for not unfollowing me on facebook um i appreciate your support (laughs) uh well i we're still friends that doesn't mean i didn't hide you but uh (laughs) no we're we're on the same side i promise we're on the same side no, no worries no worries uh, so yeah, we'll talk a little bit uh, advertising. We'll talk a little bit politics. We'll talk a little bit, you know, raising little girls, and we'll just kind of see where this goes. Yeah, sounds good. So in the interview notes, you said you wanted to be presented as director of social strategy or social Charlemagne. So yes, what does <laughs> a social Charlemagne do? Okay, yeah. Well, the funny thing about uh, advertising, new advertising, um, social media advertising, is that. Everybody has a crazy name, social media ninja, social media Jedi, right? Uh, and so that's kind of a funny take on, on you know, what the industry is doing. When it comes down to it, I'm director of social strategy uh, for anyone collective. Uh, that's my official title on my business card. Uh, but sometimes I throw that social Charlemagne out. Uh, I love Charlemagne the God. Uh, he's, he's, a, he's a hip-hop guy, a podcaster as well. Um, and then, you know... Kid Charlemagne is one of my favorite songs uh, from Steely Dan, a band from the 70s. And then if you look back in history, Charlemagne is actually a pretty influential guy uh, in Western Europe and Southern Europe. So um, I, I, liked, I liked how it sounded. And sometimes I throw that out there just to get a laugh uh, and to kind of laugh at myself. Because uh, the fact is, uh, in social media advertising, you, you just can't take yourself that seriously. Indeed, indeed. So how did you originally get into this? Uh, well, uh, in college, I was a PR major. Um, right out of school, I got into um, advertising and PR with a small nonprofit in Newport Beach. Uh, from there, um, I was introduced, uh, reintroduced to a couple guys uh, from the college I went to, the college that you and I both went to. Uh, and I started blogging um, for them. We had some fun. Uh, we wrote some posts, uh, and one thing led to another. Uh, from blogging with these guys, um, opened up the world into social media advertising. And in 2007, 2008, um, the guys from college started a, a company called Balboa Media Group, which eventually became Column 5, which is uh, Column 5 Media is one of the top agencies in Orange County now. Uh, really proud of the guys uh, for building such an awesome agency. Column 5, friends of the podcast. Yes, yeah. And they're actually uh, the guys who, who got me into this, and we all kind of learned all this stuff together um, back in the uh, mid-2000s. So you said you were a PR major in college. What did you want to be when you grew up? <laughs> 
Well, I, um, I have the wonderful gift of ADD, so I wanted to be a lot of things. Um, and, uh, you know, so f being a little kid, it went from wanting to be a major league pitcher to being a rock star. Uh, but then in, in high school, I caught the, uh, I caught the political bug. My mom, uh, I'm a, I'm a mama's boy, uh, for all you mama's boys out there. Um, it's great. Uh, anyways, she handed me a book called Profiles in Courage, and it was a book written uh, by John F. Kennedy, and that book just basically changed my life. Um, I saw politics as a force for good, and that's something that I wanted to be a part of. So I was the kid in high school who uh, you know, read uh, policy magazines. Uh, there's, uh, I grew up in Northern California near Stanford University. They had this thing called the Hoover Institute, and they had public policy uh, magazines at like Barnes and Noble and Tower Records, and I would pick those up. And then there's also a magazine by JFK Jr. called George Magazine in the 90s. And I was politics all the time uh, in high school. So uh, long story short, if I had a dream when I was in high school, when I wanted to grow up, I wanted to be president of the United States of America. The politic punk rock president. <laughs> You know what? That's funny. Yeah. If people read my my uh, uh, my bio, it's it's peace, politics, and punk rock for sure. That's there you go. Something that that definitely describes me. So you go into college, doing going down the PR road, thinking about politics, thinking about music. Uh, you start blogging with the guys. Was there a moment or a specific instance that you realized marketing, advertising was something you absolutely had to do? You know what? Um, Coming from my background and, and understanding what I'm good at, um, I'm more on the creative end. My brain is definitely more on the creative side. Uh, I'm more of a creative, uh, writing music, uh, you know, art, that kind of thing. And advertising is just a, a marketing advertising is a natural progression for the creatives. Um, for uh, I think it's amazing for the creatives that can figure out how to monetize <laughs> their art. Right. Um, some some bands that kind of made it from from our era, um, you know, Fall Out Boy, that was kind of the bands that that would tour through, um, you know, Southern California. They'd stay on on my couch as they played Chain Reaction. Right. And they made it big and they did a really good job with what they did. Right. Mm -hmm. um, good for them for being able to monetize their art. I was never able to really figure out a way to do that. <laughs> Um, so advertising and marketing was a natural progression for my creative uh, outlet. And in all honesty, I can't imagine myself doing anything else because I get to go to work every day and I get to be creative. I get to go to work every day and think of stuff that wasn't there before and build something out of nothing. And that's really exciting to me. And uh, that's, you know, being a creative, again, uh, going into marketing was just a natural thing. So that's a good segue to the next question. So what's a basic daylight for you? Yes. Well, um, I live in Orange County. I live in Orange, California. Uh, and I, luckily enough, get to commute on the train every morning uh, up through uh, Los Angeles into downtown. And then I take uh, uh, the gold line up to South Pasadena. So my morning starts on a good morning. I'll go wake up, uh, stop off at Portola Coffee. Uh, shout out to them. Best coffee in Orange County. Amazing. Um, yeah. Get my Americano, jump on the train, and uh, then uh, get to my office. And, you know, right off the bat, we, uh, we meaning the directors, the other directors and I, get together with the team. We kind of set out the agenda for the day or the week. And then we get to it. Um, my day consists of a lot of strategy meetings, ideation sessions, uh, and a lot of management of people. Uh, and making sure that they are um, doing what we need them to do. Uh, because I'm on the creative side of things, I rely heavily on producers and project managers, uh, which are the lifeblood of any advertising or marketing agency. You know, I, I send up a peace sign to all you producers and all you project managers out there who have to deal with, with us creatives. Um, thank you so much <laughs> for keeping us on task and helping us get to the finish line. So... I manage a bunch of, uh, of those guys. Uh, I make sure that they understand the vision, the ideas uh, that are being put forth, and then they put a plan of action together 
with you know designers, uh, editors, uh, video guys, uh, you name it. We work with all types of creatives in the advertising industry, and um, uh, we just produce. We produce every day. So, how much of this is? the brand telling you what it is they're trying to portray versus you kind of drawing it out of them, you know, kind of what's your role in kind of making all of that happen? Yeah. Uh, so uh, typical advertising agency is, is like the show Mad Men for, for people who've seen the show Mad Men. Um, you have clients and clients always have their ideas, right? And there's kind of a saying in our industry, which is hashtag your ideas suck. <laughs> and the truth is, uh, no idea is a good idea until a client thinks it's a good idea. And uh, there is this weird symbiotic balance between clients and agencies. There's this push and pull on the creatives and the agency wanting to push the envelope very, very far. And then the client saying, okay, okay, that's nice, but let's pull it back. Let's rein it in. A bit. Mm -hmm. um, so there is a healthy tension. Uh, between clients and agencies, and when the tension gets unhealthy, that's time for probably you know the client and the brand to move on and, and find other people to uh, to work with, uh, and that happens in our industry. Um, you know, a typical brand agency relationship is around three years, and uh, sometimes they can go as long as five years or more, but that's what you typically see in the ad agency is is two to three years uh, with with a with a brand. So how do you get to the core of what a brand is? You know, what they're trying to say, you know, they may not even know. You know, they, they know who their customer might be, but they don't necessarily have a good handle on how to communicate to them or how to communicate that feeling, what they're trying to make their customers feel. You know, how do you get to the core of that and help them communicate that? That's a great question. Well, first and foremost, uh, you've got to sit down with the client and you've got to listen. You've got to listen because uh, the client... Uh, is spends 24 seven with their product, right? So they are so, so close to their product. They know their product better than anyone, but they've hired an agency to come in and kind of give that outsider's perspective. So first and foremost, it has to start with listening. You've got to listen to your clients. You've got to ask good questions and you've got to allow them to speak. Now, that being said, it starts with listening, but then it comes down to, and this is one of my favorite parts of uh, my job, which is uh, after we've listened to the client, it's time to start ideating. It's time to start coming up with those big ideas, right? And I love, I'm, I'm kind of old school, so I love getting on a whiteboard. And, you know, all these ideation sessions, I'll get on a whiteboard and then we just start doodling. We start drawing on the whiteboard. And it's amazing to see what happens within an ideation session. And uh, I have a saying within any ideation session that I'm leading that there are no such thing as bad ideas. And listeners, listeners, if you've never been through one of these, it's it's really powerful when you start throwing out the words that you want the brand to mean and what you are trying to inspire in people and what you want people to feel when they think about what you're doing. And you start throwing all those on a board and people start riffing on them. It, it's really magical. It's alchemy. And there's not really another way to explain it. Exactly. And when I say that there are no bad ideas, of course, there are some terrible ideas. But the fact is that terrible idea that is said could be the impetus for something that comes next. So you just kind of have to just let it out and um, let the ideation session take you where it's going to go. Some of them are very, very fruitful. Others of them are not. Um, I've tried, you know, many types of ideation sessions where we'll all go out to the bar, right? Have a drink at lunch and then come back and see if we're loose, right? Um, there's just different ways to get creative. And uh, because that's the crux of the agency world, I wanna make sure that when you're coming into an ideation session that nothing is, is hindering your thoughts or your ideas. You gotta be careful though, because eventually you could end up with Kendall Jenner giving a Pepsi to the protesters. <laughs> I'm glad you put up. That's interesting. So, uh, for for your listeners who 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 know that this Pepsi commercial was pretty um, controversial earlier this year, um, basically uh, Pepsi created this commercial in house, um, and that's 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 important here. 
um, because typically <laughs> important <that's>, note. <laughs> yeah, important note that Pepsi was really proud of themselves coming up with this idea that that Pepsi can heal the world, that Pepsi can can heal the tensions between you know protest movements and the police, right? Um, and again, you know, being in an advertising agency, we obviously believe in advertising agencies, right? And coming from the outside, uh, typically we are able to throw blocks on ideas like that that are a little too self-indulgent, right? And and that's part of the process and that 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 relationship between the client and the agency, and hopefully that you guys uh, that we can work through, you know, something like that, so that does not happen. Uh, and anyways, um, so. Anytime yeah. you see something like that, my immediate thought is how many people had to sign off on this? How many people, <laughs> how far up the food chain said, yes, this is a good idea. We should do this. You know, yeah. even if you're not involved in the thing, like you get to the end, you're showing it to somebody, guys, we shouldn't do this. We can't put yeah. this on TV. Like, yeah, I yeah. don't know. And that, and that's not to say too, that, that what they were trying to, I, I can see what they were trying to do, right? They were trying to be inspiring. They were, they had all the right elements. You, you hire the right influencer who has 10 billion people on their Instagram and their Twitter and their Facebook and their Snapchat, right? You hire the right influencer, but the message just fell on deaf ears, right? But that's not to say that other marketing and other advertising can't be inspiring, right? Right. There is, there is one commercial that I will always go back to for me. And it's a commercial in 2007 by Wyden and Kennedy, a great agency up in Portland, Oregon. And they did a, the go forth campaign for Levi's. And this was a really interesting time. Uh, 2007, that's when people were wearing seven jeans, uh, right? They were wearing true religions. They had all these like designer jeans mm -hmm. and I'm sitting in the movie theater and it's the 20 minutes before the movie theater. So all you're seeing is commercials and this commercial pops up, right? And right then and there, I became a Levi's guy. I saw this commercial and I was like, wow, this commercial gets me. It total, I totally connected with it and it was amazing. It was uh, a minute long commercial. It's called the Levi's Go Forth Campaign. Uh, Google it, look it, up it on, look it up on YouTube. It's also, uh, there's a Charles Bukowski poem read over it. It's phenomenal, but that's the power of advertising, right? Yeah. When you are least expecting it, you see a message and you identify with that message and you go, you know what? That product gets me. And to this day, I have been a Levi's guy for, for over 10 years. And uh, I always love watching the Nike commercials for the World Cup every year. There's always a big, you know, cinematic oh, yeah. uh, World Cup commercial. And the one, uh, I think it was o, I think it was 08, where it was uh, right the future and it was you know, all these people playing and they're getting ready to take a penalty kick and what happens if I miss this and it, it extrapolates this whole worst case scenario and I always, that's one of my favorite commercials. 100%, like advertising can really, can really be, can, can move the world and, and we, not to get political yet, but we saw that with the Trump campaign, right? He is a brilliant marketer. He knows advertising. He knows slogans, right? In 2008, Obama, new slogans, yes we can. When I would watch an Obama speech in 2008, I get goosebumps, right? Just like when you're in a movie, just like when you're seeing a commercial that really moves you, you have a visceral emotional experience uh, to a message. And I think that's another reason why I found myself in advertising is that there's, there's still that message. There's still the, uh, the ability to persuade someone uh, towards a common goal or an idea. Another brand I think has done a really good job is Harley Davidson. Um, okay. If you've never ridden a motorcycle on the street, it's it's hard to explain that feeling. Um, okay. You know, they, they tap into the freedom and the, oh, yeah. the, the exhilaration spirit. and all of yep. that. And if you've never done it, it's hard to explain. But they, I feel like they've done a really good job of trying to translate that feeling to people that don't understand it. And, you know, our generation thinks, you know, cruisers are for you know, 40 year old weekend warriors and, you know, you know, <laughs> which you know, I, middle, I'm almost a 40 year old, weekend right. warrior. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, middle yeah, managers yeah, that have saying. a little too yes, much money exactly. and, yeah. you know, want to wear the leather and everything. And it, it's not about that. It's about just getting out and feeling free. And oh, yeah. there's, it's hard to explain to people that have never done it, but there's something very Zen about it. Like interesting. you're, interesting. you're, you're on the bike and 
they teach you in the class, if you take the safety class, which I highly recommend, what am I going yeah. to do when this happens? What am I going to do when this car pulls out in front of me? What am I going to do? Oh, and, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, look out for the dirty cars because obviously this person doesn't care that much about their car. You know, they, <laughs> So they teach you all this, and yeah. you get to a point when you're writing, and it's almost like you're in the matrix. Like, this car is going to change wow. lanes without signaling, and then they do. This car is going to turn right without signaling, and then they do. This car is going to pull out in front of me, and then they do. And it's, yeah, yeah. it's very Zen and you're just in the moment and you're hyper aware of everything. And it's, it's, it's weird. It's hard to explain, but no, I, I like that I, from, from a Harley Davidson writer. I, I see them as modern cowboys. I see these Harleys as, as the horses from, from the old wild west. And, and I, I love uh, the freedom that people seem to have when they're riding their motorcycles. And I don't know, you could probably tell us this, but I've seen two motorcycles pass each other on the road not knowing each other and they'll throw a peace sign to each other. Yeah. It's the wave. It's, it's not necessarily yeah. a peace sign. It's just kind no of a wave. Center. Yeah. Got it. Of course, me and my hippie ways, I think, Oh wow, they're, they're throwing a peace sign. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're but just kind of, you know, giving each other a, a language, hand like, right? Hey, stay safe out there. You know, got it. Got it. My All thing right. was always, if I saw someone with their windows down and they were texting or something, I'd say, Hey, don't kill me. Like, Hey, don't kill uh, me out there. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to, um, you know, driverless cars, because uh, our daughters will be driving in what ten years, 10, oh yeah, twelve years, and I think it would be a great thing for them never to have to learn how to drive, and all they have to do is pull up an app and say, "Hey, I've got to go to school," and then they get to school. We're all going to get there faster. We're all going to get there in uh, in one piece. Uh, we're not going to yes, we're yes. going to stop murdering each other on the roads because <laughs> coming up in a couple weeks, I've got um, a technology manager for Hyundai. Uh, and we'll, oh, nice. we'll talk as much about autonomous cars as we can. He's under some awesome. confidentiality and stuff, but uh, stay tuned yeah. for that one because that's uh, interesting. I'm, yeah. I definitely can't wait to hear that. There's the dystopian nightmare scenario where it costs so much to park our autonomous car that we send all our autonomous cars back to our house and then we send them back to get us uh, after <laughs> work and then the freeways yeah. are just as gridlocked. So um, I'm interested to hear his thoughts on that, how we solve the trolley problem, et cetera. But uh, yeah, yeah, so, yeah that's, no, it's... so that's coming up. Yeah, very, very cool. So when you tell people you work in advertising, what's the most common reaction? So are you like Don Draper or what? <laughs> and of the, course. Uh, the uh, simple question or the simple answer is kind of. Uh, I'm not as good looking as Don Draper. But I think I have better ideas than Don Draper. Oh, shots <laughs> fired. <laughs> There's a lot of ego in this business, right? No, the fact is, um, yeah, I, Mad Men kind of put advertising on the map for a certain generation. Right. Right. And um, my life very much like that. It's I live in Orange County. That's like Connecticut. I take a train into the city. That's like Manhattan. But it's L.A., right? Um There's late nights. There's a lot of traveling. There's a lot of cool things. There's a lot of drinking, right? Um, the only difference is, is there's a lot less sexism, uh, which is, which is good thing. Like not everybody has secretaries. No one has secretaries anymore and no one sexually harasses their secretaries or gets them pregnant. Um, uh, so anyways, uh, a lot of people say, is it like Mad Men? And I say, yeah, it's like Mad Men without the sexism. And hopefully less smoking in the office. Oh yeah, that, that's true. That too. Um, there have been some agencies that smoked a lot. And I am so glad I'm not at those agencies any longer. <laughs> you're a baseball guy. You're an advertising guy. Do you read uh, Paul Lucas on ESPN? I do. I do. The Union yes. Watch stuff. Okay. There was an article the other day about the Astros Tequila Sunrise, the rainbow uniforms. Oh yes. And the guy was the guy <laughs> that made them was talking about literally buying construction paper and cutting out strips of color and placing them on this cutout T-shirt shape to get it just right. I mean, I, I can't even imagine what it was like back in the day doing that stuff. You know what? That, that, that goes to show, I mean, those are iconic um, baseball jerseys. Like, you could see those colors, and if you're a baseball fan, you know, without even seeing what the logo is, you know it's an Astros uniform. Exactly. Right? Uh, that's amazing about that. It's very, very retro, and I know that there's a lot of backlash against the cool retro of the 70s and 80s and the late 90s and whatnot, but... Um, there's definitely a lot more appreciation for the way that uniforms were created back in the day versus how they're created today, right? And I love that story of, of him putting that together, and, and that's how it came together, which is just so crazy. Yeah, definitely a cool article. If you guys uh, 
If you guys are interested at all in the aesthetics of uniforms, uh, go to ESPN, search Paul Lucas, L-U-K-A-S, or uh, go to uni-watch.com. And he's got all kinds of uniform logo tidbit stuff. Uh, me and Brett Michael, a few episodes back, talked about it. It's it's awesome. So kind of on a similar note, I remember being in, I think it was fourth or fifth grade, and our teacher was telling us about how most of the jobs we would have weren't invented yet when we were in fourth and fifth grade. That's a smart teacher. And I remember thinking that it was going to be like crazy technology, computer, hologram repair type stuff. I remember thinking it was going to be like that. But now, you know, God knows how many years later, 25 years later, you know, it that even trickles into social media manager. Like that didn't exist. You know, I mean, yeah, it kind of falls under advertising and marketing, but that wasn't a thing, you know. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You know, graphic graphic designer for web, you know, user interface designer. None of that existed. Yeah, it's it's crazy to think about, you know, that 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 came true. And and what's even more interesting is that 10 15 years later, you know, there are going to be jobs that that we've never heard of before. Uh, there's a funny meme that I saw on Twitter um, of a new job. Uh, this guy was on the BBC doing an, uh, an interview and his job title was emoji translator. Oh, (laughs) Right. So, I mean, you're absolutely, that, that teacher was, was so true. I mean, that was what the early nineties that that teacher said that. So good for that teacher for telling you that, um, because that's the truth. Uh, we are seeing, you know, new jobs arise, every day. And that has to do with the technology and the platforms, right? A couple years back, the hottest app on the planet was Snapchat, right? Yep. And, you know, all of the, uh, the Gen Zers, uh, which are younger than millennials, are, were adopting it. And then there are millennials that were adopting it as well, right? And then Instagram is basically like, hey, we'll do it the same or we'll do it better. And within a year or two's time, you know, Instagram stories has completely eclipsed Snapchat, right? Yep. And the fact is, last year I had a lot of clients asking me about Snapchat campaigns. And this year, not so much. It's very, very interesting. Yeah, now it's all about the race to 10,000 users on Instagram so you can get your swipe up capabilities, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Do you, ha- do you guys have an emoji translator? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, it's called our interns. Oh, there you go. <laughs> hey, this eggplant, is that, does that mean vegetables or does that mean yeah, something else? Yeah, exactly. No, and, and the fact is in the advertising world, um, as we age, and it's a very, very young industry, um, we rely heavily on our interns and our young recruits to kind of give us, you know, what's happening, right, um, in, in the younger generation. And this new generation that's coming up is called Generation Z. They're very, very interesting. They're definitely different than millennials, uh, and they're kind of the hot ticket right now when it comes to brands wanting to reach out uh, because the millennials, like myself, the older millennials, are starting to get um, aged out of the ideal target demographic. It was funny. I, I just turned 35, and that means that I am officially out of the 18 to 34 Oh, my God. Mine's in October. I, I, I'm right there. <laughs> I've been thinking about and, it all year. You know, it's just really funny from a, from an advertising and marketing perspective that now I'm officially old when it comes to advertising, and advertisers are a lot less interested in me uh, now than they were six months ago. <laughs> and uh, I, that speaks to something I heard a while back: be nice to your interns today because they could be your boss tomorrow. One hundred and ten percent, absolutely, yes. Because they could have some crazy app idea, and then all of a sudden they are gazillionaire. Right. Facebook um, comes calling with their war chest and their billion users, yep. and it's all over. Yep. So, Jared, in your opinion, how can we make America great again? Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. That is a good question, especially understanding the events that happened this last weekend. Um, uh, politics. Uh, is something that that is near and dear to my heart. Um, I have quite the story of evolution, being a right-wing teenager, evangelical teenager, uh, to taking that political philosophy class in college, reading 
letter from Birmingham jail for Martin Luther King Jr. And it completely shifting everything for me. Um, and that was my journey to uh, the dark side, as, as my likes to say. Um, <laughs> Uh, my journey into to uh, the progressive side of things, the liberal side of things. Uh, but anyways, back to your original question, how do we make America great again? Um, well, I've always believed that America was great. Um, America is this wonderful experiment of progress where we had these forefathers who had these ideas. They weren't all great ideas, but they were good ideas. And they set forth, um, you know, our country on a path and a path of progress. And we've seen that progress, right? We've seen that progress through the 1800s into the 1900s through the civil rights movement and all the way through Barack Obama being elected as president. I think there's a lot of social progress that has been made. Um, now I'll be the first one to, you know, say that, that I disagree with Donald Trump, that I vehemently oppose Donald Trump, that I do not like the alt-right that I do have a difficult time with the red hats in my own family, uh, if that makes sense. Um, but all that to say, the way that I can try to be a better American tomorrow, um, to be a better American today, to do my best to make my country great, my state great, my county great, my city great, is to love my family first and foremost, and then the second thing is to listen to the other side. Uh, and maybe this comes from my advertising background where I've got to listen to the client, right? I've got to listen to the client to understand, you know, how they want to sell their product or, or their ideas about their product. Well, politics is the same thing. Politics is a product. And if anybody got that right, it's Donald Trump. He understood that. And for me to make America great, is to listen to the people that I disagree with and do my best to try to find compromise. Now, that's a very you know, lofty goal, and I don't always do well at that, right? Uh, I get angry sometimes at, at the other side and, and, and spew some vitriol when I'm angry, right? I've seen your um, Facebook. <laughs> yes, there's a hashtag FDT. I won't say what that means. <laughs> But for you young listeners out there, that means fire Donald Trump. Right, right. Um, so anyways, uh, the way that I can do my best to make America great is to, to love my family as much as I can. And then to try to listen to the other side and try to find compromise. Yeah, my our producer, Jesse Edmond, he has a saying, you know, get to know your neighbors. Like, that's where it starts. If your neighborhood works, your city works. If your city works, your county is going to work. You know, if you love each other and respect each other, you know, if your county works, your state's going to work. Like, you know, it all starts at like you literally getting out, meeting your neighbors, getting to know them yeah. and kind of going from there. Absolutely. It's people power. And, and, and that's, that was probably my biggest frustration with the left is, um, you know, with Barack Obama, his saying was, yes, we can and hope and change. Right. And when, when we elected Barack Obama, all the activism went from, yes, we can to great. You're going to do it for us now. Right. Yeah. Yes, we did. Yeah. And, and I always said, like, it should have evolved into, yes, we are. And, you know, we, we saw uh, the Democrats kind of get caught back on their heels. And again, I'm not a Democrat. I'm a left-leaning independent. Um, I will not uh, align with any party. Um, but uh, that, was, that was very interesting, um, that it does start with us. It starts with us at the ballot box. It starts with us talking to one another and getting involved. Um, and I've done my best to stay involved in politics from in 2000, working the George Bush campaign. This is true. <laughs> to 2014, volunteering with the Kerry campaign. To 2008, volunteering with the Obama campaign in 2012. And then in 2016, um, betting on the wrong horse, right. but uh, still getting involved as much as I could there, uh, supporting, you know, doing $5 here and there to, uh, to support the candidate that I believe would have done the best job. And you mentioned a little bit ago the, you know, the American experiment. So you're, it doesn't sound like you're of the mind that the experiment has necessarily failed, that the dream is over. I mean, I'm sure you've read the, and I can't remember the gentleman's name, but the, the theory that America is really 
11 or 13 different countries and it's yeah, it's yeah, a surprise that. that it's worked this long <laughs> yeah. and it shouldn't yeah. have and it's probably over so would you say that the experiment has failed and if not where do we go from here yeah this is one of my biggest complaints uh holding up the mirror to the left and going come on guys the knee-jerk reactions right i will always remember this on november 8th 2016 it was actually my birthday um and it was a terrible birthday for me. Oh, man. <laughs> and if everybody remembers... Uh, everybody remembers. <laughs> yes. Every, everything started going downhill on the West Coast around 7.30, right? That's when we started figuring out that something was wrong, something was happening, and we couldn't stop it. It was a train. The Trump train was happening, right? Um, we had hope. Uh, but anyways, all of my daughters were asleep by then. And my oldest daughter was with me. And she said, Dad you know, I get to wake up tomorrow and Hillary Clinton will be our president. And that made me so happy to hear that, right? Because there was still some sort of hope. Anyway, she woke up in the morning. It was like Christmas morning for her. Oh, and man. she said, hey, dad, did Hillary Clinton win? And I had to break the news to my six-year-old at the time that no, she didn't. And she started to cry uh, because she was really excited for Hillary Clinton. And you know, that was a real poignant moment for me, but that what that did was that reminded me and I told her this, I said, Hey, you know, this thing that we're doing, it's bigger than one election. It's bigger, you know, than, than one person, one person is here and he is going to be our president. Uh, and we might not like that, but, uh, it's our job to stay engaged. It's our job to stay uh, informed and, you know, to keep fighting for what we believe in. Um, you know, and, and it was literally wiping tears out of her eyes. Uh, and then she says, well, I still want to wear my flag dress today. And I said, great. I'm so happy that you do. And she put on her flag dress and it was kind of funny because I'm like, everybody's going to think I'm a Trump supporter when I drop my kid off at school because she's, <laughs> cause she's wearing a flag. We, dress. we did it. We made America great again. <laughs> Yeah. And I was like, oh, wait, you know what? That doesn't matter. My daughter feels the patriotism that she has as a six-year-old. She's disappointed. She's a little bit scared, right? But I was there as a parent to reassure her that, hey, just because we lost this election doesn't mean we're going to lose the next one. Right. So not to relitigate the election, not to relitigate the events of this last weekend, but, you know, the the economic anxiety that propelled Donald Trump to the presidency is real. Those, uh, yeah. Yeah. those coal mine jobs are not coming back. You know, those factory, <laughs> I don't, I don't know why people think this, but those factory packing jobs are not coming back. You know, those are the robots jobs now. And yeah. how that manifests itself in this anxiety towards other cultures and other, you know, the other, you know, the, the not yeah. me, you know, I, yeah. I, I don't know how we get from point A to point B, but it seems that we have, and that's a dangerous place to be. You know what? And I, I've got a couple thoughts on that. And, and my answer to that is California. Um, California is an interesting place. It's the left coast, but then we have, Oklahoma, Texas, Arkansas, right smack dab in the middle called the Central Valley. I'm from there. Uh, you are from there. I was actually born in Bakersfield, California. Yep. I have the humblest of roots, the butt crack of California, <laughs> as a lot of people call it. I call but it anyways. the crotch, but yep, yep. yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Front or back, whatever. Um, so the thing about California is that we've had a lot of progress here. And, you know, NAFTA was actually really good for California. NAFTA was a great thing for our farmers um, it helped us uh, boost our trade, but uh, we have a lot of conservatives in the Central Valley, and you know what? The conservatives in the Central Valley peacefully coexist and are actually really excited uh, about other cultures coming in and helping them farm their land, right? Yep. Uh, it's the migrant workers, and yes, again, it hasn't always been perfect, right? But there is this symbiotic relationship with the California farmer and immigrant labor. So these California farmers have interacted with these people. They've interacted with the families. They've seen their kids go, you know, take the school bus from their farm, farming communities into the local school, right? It's just exposure. 
Um, and our system is interesting. We have an electoral college, right? Um, the fact is that California's vote is worth 0.7% of Wyoming's vote, right? When it comes to elect the electoral college. Right. And a lot of people would say that's unfair. Um, but we're talking about the Rust Belt here. We're talking about people who have or are anxious about the the economy. They have seen their manufacturing jobs go away, right? They want to blame the boogeyman, and the boogeyman for them was NAFTA. You know, the unions even told them this, right? And the unions are, are somewhat uh, progressive, right? That NAFTA was a bad deal for them, right? And then you have this guy coming in who is this businessman with these cool suits and this cool hat and says, you know what, guys, everything's going to be okay. I'm going to take care of it for you, right? That's a message that resonated with them. Mm -hmm. Someone was finally speaking their language uh, that they could understand. And, you know, he spoke it to the most important states, Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin, right? California and New York do not matter. We're reliably blue states. No one cares about our states, right? The only states that matter in presidential politics are Florida, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin. That's the facts, mm -hmm. right? And you know what? To, uh, Donald Trump played the game better. Reached the right 45,000 people. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I think you're, you're absolutely right. It came down to 80,000 people across three states. And um, that's what's interesting here. Uh, so if the left and the progressives and the Democrats want to win again, they're going to have to adopt similar populist messages, uh, similar to Bernie Sanders. Um, and again, like I said earlier in the interview, I, I bet on the wrong horse. Uh, and that uh, when I had a lot of Bernie fans uh, who are friends of mine who really did not like it that I came out and supported Hillary Clinton f with a full-throated, you know, with full-throated support. And I full remember heart, your post. I remember reading uh, it. Clear, clear eyes. Um, and it made a lot of uh, people unhappy on the left because she was the moderate. And I texted him that night when Donald Trump won, and I said, wow, you know what? I bet on the wrong horse. Bernie Sanders could have done this. Bernie I... Sanders could have spoke to Michigan. He spoke to – he knows how to speak to those people. I remember reading your post when you said you were voting for Hillary and why, and I remember – if I remember right, it basically came down to I don't think Bernie can win. Well, and I was I was uh, I was against Bernie Sanders because uh, I felt that we needed a moderating voice um, because he was, you know, I, I actually I also wrote a post that him and Ted Cruz are one and the same. They're just on the opposite sides of the spectrum, hmm. right? Um, Bernie Sanders is the most liberal uh, senator in the uh, in the Senate, and Ted Cruz is the most conservative. And I said they were allowed to be that way because of the states that they come from. You know, Bernie Sanders only had to win around 200,000 votes to become a senator. Right. Right. He had to win uh, the amount of votes that vote uh, for Denver's mayor. Right. So that's who he's speaking to. And it's it's Vermont. It's liberal Vermont. Ted Cruz is the same way in Texas. You know, he's not challenged from the from the center. He's challenged from the right. And that drove them to the polar opposites. And I thought that Hillary Clinton was a moderating voice. I thought wrong, um, and I, again, I bet on the wrong horse. <laughs> so in conclusion, how do we help our nation heal after the events of the last weekend? You know, How do we move forward, love each other, accept each other? What's the path forward for our country, in your opinion? Uh, in, in my opinion, it's, it, it has to come down to uh, one of my biggest heroes, which is Martin Luther King Jr., um, and he ascribed to the politics of nonviolence. Uh, he probably wouldn't even call them politics, but, um, and his basic premise was he wanted to fight for what he believed in, but he wasn't willing to demonize the other side to achieve those goals. So I think that's what's the answer here in our country. And that's where we've gone off the path is that we demonize the other side to where we want to defeat them, right? And Martin Luther King Jr. always believed that uh, to truly win, you must humanize the other side so that they can see your point of view and that you can move them closer to your ideals. And I think, you know, understanding, you know, his prophetic vision, which is, you know, the arc of the universe bends towards justice. Mm -hmm. 
um, because oppressed people can only stand to be oppressed for so long that they will fight for justice. And that's what we saw with the Black Lives Matter movement, right? People were tired of being afraid of, of, of being shot up by police. You and I are white males. We have no idea what that's like, right? Right. Um, and uh, so anyways, I, I think the answer to healing the divide is for the adults in their room to become adults and to stop dehumanizing and demonizing the other side. And on the other side, you know, you and I, you were born in Bakersfield. I'm from Tulare. You know, we know, oh, yeah. we know hundreds of people that are, there's a large contingent of folks that don't understand how our culture has gotten to the point that it is. Oh, yeah. You know, they remember, they call themselves the traditional values crowd. And yeah. they, they grew up thinking a certain way and they are surprised to see that the world is no longer that way and that doesn't necessarily make them bigots and they're tired of being called bigots that doesn't make yes. them homophobic or racist or you know prejudiced and they're tired of yeah. being called that and they have a point yeah how do we convince the other side how do we tell the left not all these people that you think are prejudiced bigots are that they're folks that are just trying to make sense of the new yeah. world that they find themselves in. Yeah. And, uh, I think, I think that's a great, great question. And, and one of the things that I did around 2008 that was so surprising for a lot of my friends is they knew that I was on the liberal side. Uh, but in California, what was interesting is that we actually passed prop eight, right. And, um, prop eight basically said, uh, no gay marriage. And this was in 2008, so just like eight years ago, right? Uh, nine years ago. Mm -hmm. So I, I decided to become and sit with and learn from the best and the brightest of gay activists in Southern California. And I pour myself into being an activist for change, for marriage equality. Uh, now I was a straight cis male, right, going into this. Um, but I learned a lot about the left from that. And the left, again, it's their reaction to narrow what they see as narrow-mindedness and them calling it out and them saying, no longer, no longer are we going to stay silent uh, for this narrow-mindedness. And some of them are angry and some of them speak out in anger and, you know, make the other side feel less than calling them bigots, sexists, racists, all of the things that I've used before too, and that I think, I think those things, right? But does that help or hurt your cause? Again, going back to Martin Luther King Jr. on not dehumanizing your enemy, so much so that when it's time for you to make policy that you can bring them alongside and they can understand um, you know, the progress that needs to be made versus seeing you as an enemy. Good answer. All right, listeners, if you're still with us, <laughs> thanks for sticking through all that. <laughs> I, I know that's not necessarily what you signed up for. That wasn't in the description. So, <laughs> so Jared, what has been your biggest triumph so far? Uh, biggest triumph so far? Uh, I've gotten to work with a lot of, of cool brands, um, some brands that I'd always dreamed of working with, Nike, Google. Right now, uh, at, at the agency that I'm with now, uh, Anyone Collective, we are working on launching um, this new version of a television network, right? Uh, it's a really exciting time in television. We are in the golden age of content. I mean, there are amazing shows nearly on every network, right? And there are amazing content creators. Uh, I've gotten to work with a brand called Stage 13. They're a subsidiary of Warner Brothers. And they're launching this new... Um, kind of uh, television network that focuses in, in on short form and mid form content, meaning that all shows are eight to 12 to 15 minutes long and they all deal with, you know, current topics. It's very, very relevant content to uh, the, uh, to young people nowadays. Um, you know, I, I love uh, stage 13 kind of, kind of battle cry, which is, you know, they have a, a curious spirit and a rebellious edge to them, so to speak. And 
you know, they're not worried or concerned about age, race, orientation, how old anybody is, the color of your skin or who you kiss. All they care about is that they want fearless creators. They want to create the coolest content with the best stories that inspire people as well as entertain. And from a, you know, social media and strategic position, I am so grateful to even be a part of helping to launch this new uh, television network. And people can find it uh, anywhere on any mobile device, um, on the web, um, YouTube, Facebook. It'll be streaming everywhere. Uh, there are some shows that are currently up right now, but the full launch will be this fall. And we're all really, really excited to launch this kind of new idea on what television can be and where you can consume it. Awesome. How about biggest failure, biggest disappointment, anything that didn't work out the way you hoped it would? Yeah, I think uh, the biggest uh, disappointment for me is in the advertising world, there's a lot of ego. Um, and coming from the sports world, I played a lot of sports. There's a lot of ego in sports. You want to win. You want to be the best. Uh, and when I switched teams, I switched agencies, I kind of burned some, some bridges in my earlier career. I wish I would have uh, not done that. I wish I would have left on better terms. Um, but, you know, um, I did the best that I could at that moment. Um, but looking back, hindsight's twenty twenty. I really wish I would have left uh, one of the first agencies I was at better um, and not burned any bridges. Um, as time has gone on, I have been able to, you know, mend relationships a bit. Uh, obviously, they'll never be the same, uh, but at least uh, everybody's on good terms. And, um, you know, but that's probably my biggest regret and my advice to anybody in any any business is not to burn bridges. Uh, even if it feels right at the time, even if you want to light that match, pour the gasoline and light that match, do your best to hold that match and keep the gasoline in the can uh, because you never know uh, when you're going to need a favor, when you're going to need a contact. Um, and that's what business is all about. Business is all about your network and connecting. Mm -hmm. Going forward, how do you define success for yourself? Being excited on Sunday nights to go to work on Monday mornings, that's success for me. Uh, I said it earlier in the interview, I get to create every day. It's so exciting. Um, and that's, that's success for me. Um, that's kind of, you know, a bigger concept. So to get a little bit more granular on success in my world, uh, even though this is kind of an old school goal, uh, by the time I turn 40, I will have wanted to produce a Super Bowl commercial. So that will be success. So check back in with me in five years to see if I was able to achieve my goal uh, as to getting a Super Bowl commercial, um, which is kind of like the Oscars, you know, for uh, the advertising industry. What's it going to take for you to get there, in your opinion? Uh Continuing to pour resources into the agency that I'm at now. The agency that I'm at now is filled with talented people with a lot of great contacts and a lot of great connections. Um, we continue to build and get bigger and bigger brands. And as everybody knows, all the brands that are on Super Bowl commercials are typically, you know, your Americana brands, your Coca-Cola's, your Bud Lights, your Budweiser's, things like that. Um, so it's basically just leveling up, continuing to level up and to convince a client that, hey, you know, that that Super Bowl commercial is is worth that $4 million 30-second spot. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think you'd be doing if this hadn't worked out? If you hadn't got the job blogging and gone into advertising, where do you think you would have ended up? If advertising would not have worked out and in an, in an ideal world, I would have dropped everything in 2007 and moved to Iowa and gotten a job with the Obama campaign. That's, that's something that I look back on and, and, you know, I, I am where I am now, uh, because of the decisions that I made with blogging and, 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 you know, getting into advertising in, in the mid two thousands. Uh, but, uh, if that hadn't worked out, I would definitely be working in politics right now, somehow, some way in a professional setting. What's some of the best advice you've ever gotten? One of my first bosses brought me into his office, and I think I was probably 23 at the time. And he said, Jared, 
You'll either have your master's or you won't by the time you're 30. Now, that was a very specific advice that he gave me. Um, but basically, that has stayed with me. And that has helped me understand that I need to have goals for myself. And I typically put goals with an age, right? Like I said earlier, I want a Super Bowl commercial by 40, mm -hmm. right? It gives me five years to accomplish that goal, to figure out how to do that. Um, and that's one of the best advice I've ever gotten. And you know what? That day I started researching master's degrees. And I, again, I was in PR and marketing at the time. This is right before I got into advertising. Um, and I decided that I wanted to get my master's in public policy because I really wanted to learn more about public policy and how to write policy and, and, and policy, um, you know, drafting legislation, you know, versus the politics of what I always loved, which is the arguing. I wanted to figure out how policy was made. And so I got my master's in public policy from the same university Steve Martin attended. So, <laughs> hmm. so in this alternate timeline where you go work for the Obama campaign, what do you think Jared's doing right now? Are you thinking legislative director, chief of staff, candidate? Where do you think alternate timeline Jared is? Uh, candidate in the 45th uh, California. I'd be going against Mimi Walters uh, this year. Oh, man. Mimi Walters. Yep. Uh, <laughs> she is the, uh, she's the Republican representative. She's my representative. Um, uh, she's mine as well here. I live in Orange. You live in Lake Forest. We're in the mm -hmm. same, same district. Um, I, I would be definitely have learned enough to put myself forward to be a candidate. Uh, there are a couple good options in the California 45th. I think we have a good chance of, of upending the Republican hold here in Orange County, um, especially with how well Trump has been doing. Um but uh, yeah, I definitely would would probably be uh, a candidate because I would have had all the correct <laughs> connections in D.C. <laughs> to make it happen. All right. So what do you like to do for fun outside of rabble rouse and watch baseball? I know we're we're both big Giants fans, but uh, oh yeah, yeah. What do you like to do for fun? This sounds uh, pretty cheesy, but. Uh, the other day, a couple days ago, I went and bought popsicles for my daughters, and they were eating popsicles, running around, dancing in the front yard. And I thought to myself, this is what I love to do. Like, mm -hmm. this for me is heaven. Like, it does not get better than this. It's a, it's a cool summer evening in Orange County. My daughters are so excited to have Jolly Rancher popsicles from Target. <laughs> you know, that cost nothing. And they are just so content. I'm sitting on the porch with my wife and she's holding her nine month old who just started crawling. And that was contentment. That's what I love to do. I love, um, to be a dad. Uh, I never thought I would. I was kind of raised an only child and I was like, I'm only probably going to have one kid, but I've got multiple kids. I've got three daughters and yeah, that's that's what I love to do. It's cool. It's cool to see your kids get pumped on stuff. It's it's hard to explain. Just it, the the unbridled joy they have at the smallest <laughs> things is just mesmerizing. Like I yeah. I wish I loved anything as much as my kid loves bubbles. You know, like <laughs> yeah, bubbles, I wish I loved yeah, yeah. anything as much as my kid yeah. loves when you say yes, we can have ice cream tonight. You know. Yeah, yeah. No, you're you're absolutely right. That that gut laugh. I love making my daughters laugh. I love playing guitar for my daughters, uh, singing them, you know, 90s hymns, I call them, you know, Wonderwall, uh, <laughs> Free Fallen by Tom Petty, which is 1989, but that's another story. Uh, you know, that's what I love. I, I love hanging with my family. Anything you're excited about right now? Any movies you just saw, books you're reading, shows you're watching, albums that just came out? Anything you want people yeah, to know about? Yeah, I'm still a comic book nerd. And there's this new comic book out called Collexit, which kind of imagines California exiting the union because of Donald Trump. A uh, very, very interesting read uh, for those out there who uh, are into kind of dystopian futures, uh, kind of like in The Walking Dead. Um, it's not a zombie tale, but it's very, very interesting. I'm very, very excited about that. Um, so I still read a lot of comic books. And uh, something that I'm looking forward to 
is Star Trek coming back on September 24th. Oh, Star Trek Discovery. <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah, uh, You're I, not the I, first I, person to say that on this episode, on this podcast. <laughs> yep. I, I'm a Trekker. Uh, I have, have been since uh, my mom made me a fan of the next generation in the 80s. Um, so, yeah, that, that's kind of what I'm excited about now from a, from a nerd perspective, I guess. With all that we've talked about, what inspires you to keep going? How do you keep yourself motivated? Great question. Um, I keep myself motivated by the inspiration of, of my heroes that came before me. Um, my heroes are um, obviously Martin Luther King Jr. I've talked about him a lot. My heroes are Gandhi. Uh, they overcame a lot, uh, more than I will ever in my entire life. Um, but they are the ones who inspire me. And when things are looking grim or tough, I just remember what they overcame and know that whatever I'm facing, uh, I definitely can overcome just like they did because it's probably not even a tenth of what they had to endure. If you were able to go back to the start of the journey, what would you tell yourself? That is a great question. I would look myself in the face and I would say, I challenge you to believe in yourself as much as everybody else does. Don't mean to get so deep here, but that's always been probably one of the hardest things is, uh, you know, believing in my ideas that they're good ideas and, 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 and I, yeah. Does that make sense? <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. No, I think everyone goes through that, especially in creativity and creative fields. Yeah. And no, it's, it's, it's telling my younger self, dude, believe in yourself. You've got good ideas. You, you can do this and giving myself the confidence boost uh, because there's, you know, some, some decisions I made early on in my career based on, you know, fear versus believing in myself. And as I get older, I always want to choose myself over being afraid, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. I think with creativity, it's always like that. You know, who am I? Who who cares what I have to say? There's always that voice. You know, <laughs> if if it's not great, people won't like it, and I'm not sure this is great, so I'm going to do nothing. You know, that yep. that that little doubt is always there. Yep, and and understanding the world that we live in, we should never play to the trolls. We should always, you know, play to the better angels, to the to those who believe in what we're doing and believe in us. Um, so yeah, I totally agree with that. You mentioned not burning your bridges. You mentioned having a plan. You have any other words of advice, life art, creativity, politics, anything? Yeah, I'll end with a, with a quote from Gandhi, one of my favorite quotes. And it goes like this, healthy discontent is the prelude to progress. And I think that works in politics. And I think that can work in your professional life as well. Awesome. Well, Jared, this has been really fun. Uh, you're obviously a very thoughtful guy. You obviously have a huge heart for people, for your country. It's very inspiring, especially in these dark times that our nation is facing. Yeah, and, and, and uh, you know, I, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that there are a lot of people who believe in this idea, uh, this experiment, and it's going to keep going. And as long as we can keep... Uh, you know, a 70-year-old's finger off the red button and a 31-year-old's finger off the red button in North Korea, I think we'll uh, we'll make it. We'll make it okay. The sun will come <laughs> up tomorrow unless we all nuke each other. Well, except tomorrow, right? The eclipse is coming, so maybe the sun won't come up yeah. tomorrow. But, but other than that, yeah. <laughs> Again, uh, Jared can be found on Instagram at jl.ry, on Twitter at jlry, where you will see a lot more of his political activity. So you may or may not want to check that out. <laughs> uh, stage 13 that he was talking about that's stage13.com and anyone collective is found at weareanyone.com Jared thanks for coming on the show thanks so much Fred this has been the Maslow Peak Podcast presented by Spring State Media Group our producer is Jesse Edmond if you like what you heard today you can find all of our episodes on the web at themaslowpeak.com you can subscribe on iTunes Stitcher Google Play Music or SoundCloud to have new episodes automatically pushed to you if you can rate and review the show that helps a lot you can also check us out on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at the Maslow Peak, and you'll find some behind-the-scenes details, a little bit of everything on there. Thanks for listening. You'll be hearing from us next time.